Well, good morning. It's really good to see everyone here. We're glad you're here to worship with us today at Brown Corners Church. And uh, if you have children, I know a lot of them are exiting right now, but if if you have children uh, up through fourth grade and you want to have them go down to junior church, uh, you can kind of follow the crowd and and head down there. You'd be more than welcome to either take them down there or or let them stay here as as we worship through studying God's Word together. But before we do, I have a few announcements I want to share. First of all, you may or may not have known this, but today is National Improv Sunday. And we are improving in a few different ways. We've got the set going on here for the dinner theater, so we've improved this side of the screen. So, no, you don't need to go see your eye doctor. That screen really did shrink, and uh, and we'll have it back to normal when things get uh, get all, after all the, the the Christmas season. But uh, we're excited about uh, what we have going on uh, with all the holiday activities, and and then also I want to point out as some of you. Uh, probably didn't get our uh, bulletin. The, the printer is down this week, and we had the printer doctor out a couple of times, and he's having trouble getting the right part. So we printed off a few of the announcements on just a sheet of paper, but I, I know they ran out of those. And so I want to just hit some of the highlights. So if you have a scrap piece of paper handy or back of your hand, and uh, some of these announcements may be pertinent to you. Um, the children's Christmas program is next Sunday, December 7th. It'll be during the Sunday school hour. So whether or not you have kids, I want to encourage you to be here at 10 a.m. It'll be right in here. Because uh, watching kids' programs and, and hearing kids worship our Lord, is, it's just a blast. And so I hope you can come out. If you have kids who are in that program, there's practice today here at the church at 3.30. Today here at 3.30, we have... Um, pizza coming so that if they're staying for Kids Club afterwards, uh, we'll take care of dinner for them. Um, But we just wanted to let you know that if you have kids in that program, there's practice here today for that program at 3.30. We've been saying a lot about dinner theater. Uh, You see the setup. Uh, Please know there's still tickets available. Uh, We have the Christmas Carol showing. So if you uh, can't afford to go to London this Christmas, you can always come here and we'll do the best we can. And uh, they're all also looking for a few more volunteers for a few different areas. So if you're not an upfront kind of be on the stage actor or actress, we have lots of ways you can be involved. Anything from helping seat people to uh, doing dishes, uh, serving the food. There's all kinds of different opportunities you could uh, participate in. And there's sign-up sheets right there in the foyer uh, at the same place you can get the tickets. Um, also, if you ha- are a member here at, the, at Brown Corners Church, uh, today is the last day to get nominations in for the governing board or for the trustees. And so if you'd like to get a nomination in today, please see me or one of, uh, one of our board members and get us that name, uh, and we'll uh, put that into the mix, and then uh, voting uh, will be next month, and uh, we'll make sure that you, um, you uh, have the information you need for that when that starts. And then... Um, of course, as always, if you're, this is your first time here at Brown Corners Church, we want to just extend a special welcome. We're very glad that you've joined us for worship. And if you'll do us a favor, there are some connection cards somewhere around you in the back of the pew or the back of the seats. And if you've never filled one of those out, uh, having your name and address just gives us a, a way to stay in touch with you. We promise we're not sending spam and junk mail your way. But uh, if you are willing to turn one of those in, we have um, a free gift we'd like to give you and uh, um, just it helps us know who's coming and who's going. And uh, more than anything, though, we just want you to know you're welcome here. Uh, on the back of it is an is a area for prayer requests. So even if you're not new here, you can fill that out at any time. And we have people that, that pray for those faithfully. And you can put them in the, in the offering boxes in back or in the Welcome Center out there. And, and uh, there'll be someone out in the Welcome Center to answer any questions you might have um, along the way. 
And then lastly, uh, many of you have been um, praying for, uh, for Jill Madoll and her mom. You know that um, Gabriel's been kind of going downhill for a long time. Well, she went home to be with the Lord yesterday morning. Um, and um, the family's, family really is doing quite well. But the, the funeral service and the arrangements are all happening really fast. So if you're interested in going to the visitation or the funeral, the visitation is actually today. Um, it'll be uh, for family from four to five, and then for everybody else from five to nine. And that's at the Stocking Funeral Home up in Harrison. There'll be also visitation here at the church tomorrow morning from nine to 11. And the funeral service will be at 11 a.m. tomorrow right here at the church. There'll be a luncheon to follow. You're welcome to, to come along and, and stay. I, I told Jill as we were planning things out, I said, uh, you know, the dinner theater is going on. And we're going to have all this staging. I, I hope, I hope if, it, if your mom doesn't mind having her service in London, um, that, that's kind of how it's going to go. And she's like, oh, mom loved to travel. She'd have a blast. So um, Gabriel was a pretty neat lady. I don't know if you ever got a, if, if you didn't have a chance to know her, you were missing something. She was the spunkiest uh, woman that I think I may have ever met. And um, she could trade barbs with the sharpest of them. And I know she'll be missed, but I know she is worshiping her Lord and Savior today uh, in his presence and um, so if you have time tomorrow, if, if you knew the family, or even if you didn't know the family, you're welcome to come out uh, for the service. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, if you have your smartphone, your iPad, whatever it is, I'd love for you to find Romans 8 so that you can follow along together as we study God's Word. If you're new here, we've been in the middle of a series called Behold Your God, and we've been looking at different aspects of God's character or His attributes. And... This has been in no way an attempt to try to figure God out or, or put God in a box and saying we know that he's like this every, every way. But scripture, I should say that he acts a certain way every particular circumstance or situation. But scripture reveals a lot about who God is and what his character is like. And so we've looked at several of those aspects of God's character. And today we're going to look at the fatherhood of God. And the title of the message is The God Who Adopts. The God Who Adopts. Uh, spiritual adoption is taught in the New Testament and is very important to our lives. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines the doctrine as an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. This doctrine is absolutely crucial to our Christian life. This really meets us in very practical ways. Uh, J.I. Packer has said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship, his prayers, and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand his Christianity very well at all. There is no higher privilege that the gospel affords us than that of adoption. In the New Testament times, adoption was a little bit different than what we would understand adoption today. Uh, in the Jewish culture, actually, there is really, the, the concept of adoption was, was not really there. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, the, the Jewish people, even though they'd been commanded to take care of orphans and look after them, they really didn't have a system in place for doing so. And so, um, and when you come to the New Testament and Paul starts talking about adoption and being adopted by God, the idea is a little bit, uh, it, it relates much more to, ironically, the, the pagan Roman idea of adoption. And that is, uh, at, any, at any age, a Roman citizen could adopt someone 
When they did so, it canceled all the previous debts and relationships. It defined the new son wholly in terms of his new relationship to his father, whose heir he thus became. And so when we look at the New Testament concept of adoption, it's very similar to that. And there are some things that the Bible reveals, in this passage in particular, that reveals regarding our adoption. And I hope as we go along, we're going to see how this is an immensely practical doctrine in our daily life. And so I know we don't have handouts today due to the angry printer. So if you are into taking, the, taking notes, we've got a little outline I'm going to throw up on the screen. But first of all, from this passage, we see the sign of adoption. And I'm going to read verses 14 through 17, and then we'll, we'll just... Um, Uh, break them apart as we go along. Verse 14 begins, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided We suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. The first idea I want us to think about from that that passage is the sign of adoption. And I get that from verse 14, where Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That is, that there's an indicator whether or not you're a child of God. There's a, a bit of a litmus test, if you will. And that is being led by God's Spirit. Being led by God's Spirit. Now, we talked about the Holy Spirit a little bit last week. And, and God's, one of God's workings in our life is that, that the Holy Spirit's fruit should be evident in the life of, of a person who's truly saved. It doesn't mean, and we said this, we'll say this all the time, it doesn't mean we live a perfect life. Listen, we all still battle with sin. We're all still human beings who, on this earth, will never be complete, completely free of sinful habits and sinful actions. But God's work in our life should show forth in the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. We should be loving and we should be gentle. There should be peace in our life and and joy and and some of these things that Galatians chapter 5 talks about. And so Paul says that the sign of adoption is that, that God's Spirit will be at work in your life. And so the opposite is true. If there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit being at work in your life, then then maybe Paul is insinuating here that maybe you're not a child of God. And so there should be fruit that takes place here. And the Bible talks about that over and over and over again. Jesus said those things. James chapter 2, that a true Christian is known by his fruit, not his perfection. We don't want to go down that road. The Bible does not teach perfection this side of eternity. But it does teach that there will be change in our hearts and lives and, and there will be the working of the Holy Spirit. And so being led by the Spirit of God is the sign of adoption. But secondly, secondly, I want us to look at verse 15 because there we see the freedom of adoption. And this is where things really start getting good in, in, my, in my humble opinion because the, the first part of the verse says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now Paul, being, being a, a, a very a Jewish thinker and the Jewish mindset. That's how they often presented things. You'll see it throughout the Proverbs, that they'll present a truth and then they'll present the converse of that truth just to make sure they're circling the wagon and, and really communicating the concept clearly. And so he says, you're, you're, you've received the adoptions of sons. And what that means is you did not receive a spirit of slavery to go back into bondage. You did not receive a spirit of slavery. 
Romans chapter 6, Paul already developed this idea earlier in the book, but he made it very clear that that's, that's what our old life was characterized by, was bondage to sin. We were slaves to sin, he says. He says, well, now that bondage is gone. You, you've, like the song, we sing, my, the song we sing, my chains are gone. I've been set free. When you come to Christ, you're set free from an old way of living from slavery to sin and all of the, the pain and the, the trouble that such a bondage brings. We have no more obligation to obey our old slave, slave master. And I, I just, I just want to encourage you today. I don't, I don't know where you feel like you're at in your walk with the Lord, but I want to ask you this morning, do you, do you feel enslaved to something in your life? Maybe it's a, a habit that just won't seem to go away. Maybe it's the, this drive to please other people and to live in such a way that you've got to keep everybody happy and, and pat you on the back. And if anybody's displeased, you feel like a failure. Maybe there's some kind of a, a, a sin that you just can't seem to get rid of and it's just always there. Every time it comes a knocking, you feel like you've just got to give in. The Bible says that we are, have been given a spirit of freedom. We've been set free. We no longer have to be in bondage. We no longer have to be in bondage. But as Christians, sometimes we go back to that old lifestyle. Whether we got so used to walking those well-worn paths, whether we're not fully aware of all of the resources in Christ that can help set us free, I don't know, Sometimes we go back and Paul is saying, that's, that's not the, the spirit you've been given. You've been given the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of, of slavery, leading you back into bondage. And so we just need to remember that when we come to Christ and knowing that we're adopted by, by God himself, it sets us free to live holy and righteous lives because of the working of the Holy Spirit that's in us. Thirdly, we see from verse 16 the certainty of adoption. The certainty of adoption. Verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That word bear witness is the idea of providing supporting evidence by testifying. It's a, it's a reminder. We looked at uh, some of the actions of the, in the ministries of the Holy Spirit last week. One of the things we didn't touch on is one of His jobs in our life. Get this. One of the Holy Spirit's jobs in your life is to shout out reminders that you're truly God's son. He's there to shout the truth into your life, that you are part of God's family. We know that Satan is a father of lies. He's, the, he's called the deceiver of the brethren, and he loves nothing more than for us to believe his lies. And so we hear lies shouted at us all the time, you're worthless. God couldn't possibly love you if he knew your past. God couldn't, couldn't possibly love you after you did that. Satan is always bombarding us with lies. And, and the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to be shouting the truth into our hearts and our soul. Um, for years, my wife has told me, and I've, I think I've finally come to grips with it, but that I have some borderline ADD issues. And um, I find that I just get distracted with things so easily. In fact, I went to the doctor one time to ask him. 
And I'm like, you know, is there some tests we can do? And he's like, oh, you have it. That's it? I mean, I don't see a printout. Are you doing any blood tests? Oh, yeah, I can tell. He's like, I'm ADD too, and I, I can get away with saying that. And, uh, and so sometimes when, when we're working on a project around the house, my wife has to be the, the gentle voice to help me stay on track. Because I'll get going on it, and then I see something shiny, or uh, my phone makes a noise, and all of a sudden I'm distracted and scrambling after that, and I totally forgot what, what I'm supposed to be working on. My wife will have to kind of steer me back in the direction. Picture's still not on the wall, honey. Uh, the, the, the bulb's still not in the socket, honey. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the Holy Spirit's kind of like that, too, in our life. He reminds us, He helps us stay on track when we start losing Focus that we're really truly part of God's family once and for all. We start doubting God's love for us. We start doubting that he'll always be there for us. And the Holy Spirit's there to, to gently remind us that's not true. The truth is, is that you are a son, you are a daughter of God, and nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. We talked about that even last week, that, that no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. This passage goes on to say, and probably one of the most beautiful passages at the end of this chapter, and Paul lists off all the possible things that you could think of that could separate us from God's love. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor life, nor death, nor any other created thing. He just goes, just goes off on just about anything that you could think that would, might possibly separate you from God's love. And he says, nope, not that, not that, not that, not that. And he says, even life itself, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. When God brings us into his family, it is a certain thing. It is a done deal. There are no failed adoptions in God's family. When God says, you are my child, you are his child. And that is a certain, certain thing that we can take to the bank and be confident on. And if, and if you feel those doubts arise, and we all have them at times, but if those doubts are just beating you down, turn back to God's word. And call on him and say, God, just help these truths sink into my soul so that I believe them. And I don't believe the lies that are coming my way. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are his child. And you will always be his child. And you can be confident of that. So there's the certainty of adoption. Fourthly, there's the privilege of adoption. The privilege of adoption. And there's a couple of privileges that come through this that I saw in this passage. The first one is, is that we have a heavenly father. We have a heavenly father. Look at verse 15. It says, but at the end it says, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What a great and wonderful truth. See, all throughout Scripture, God is revealed as a, as a father. In the Old Testament, he refers to the children of Israel as, as his sons and daughters, as his, his children. And he's pictured as their loving heavenly father. But not, nowhere that I could find in the Old Testament was there ever a developed concept where the people... Of God, even David, for all of his closeness and intimacy with God that we see throughout the Psalms, referred to God as Father. I, I couldn't find it. The idea of calling God your heavenly Father really does not surface until Jesus Christ comes 
and lives among us. And then when you get to the life of Jesus, I couldn't find one instance except for possibly when he's on the cross and he refers to God as my God. I couldn't find one instance where Jesus referred to God as anything but his heavenly father. And what I think he was doing was not only expressing that intimate relationship that he had with the father, but setting a pattern for us, knowing that when you trusted Christ, you were going to be able to enjoy this close, intimate relationship with God himself. And so that you could call him Abba, Father. This is an unbelievable change from the way that Christians and, and believers in the Old Testament would have understood God. And this is why, in fact, some liberal theologians will say that the God of the Old Testament is way different than the God of the New Testament. They must be two different gods. Because that God that, you know, we talked about the holiness of God that Isaiah crumbles before and says, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. The God who appears to Moses on Mount Sinai and all the Israelites thought they were going to die. And then all of a sudden you come now and we can say, Abba, Father. I don't, I don't believe that they're two different gods. I think that what we've got here is, is the same God who is always holy, but the work of Christ was that significant that allows us now to be able to come to God in the same way his son Jesus Christ does. If you ever start minimizing the work of Jesus Christ, it has far-reaching implications, and one of them has to do with your relationship with the Heavenly Father. Because if you minimize the work of Christ, now all of a sudden God seems a bit more distant. God seems a bit more harsh. He seems a bit more angry. But if we understand what Christ did for us, as Hebrews tells us, he tore down the wall that separated, and now we can come boldly into the throne room of grace and come near to him and say, oh God, I need you today. Father, I need your grace today. We don't have to stand far off and shout to him, hoping that we'll, our words will reach his ear. But we can come right up next to him say, Daddy, I, I need you. I need your grace today. And if you don't, if you don't talk to God like that, I, I want to just encourage you to start trying. Because Scripture gives us permission, and, and that's, that's pretty good if, if God's Word tells us we can do that. And I, think, I think your relationship with God will change in a dynamic way when you realize that you can just come to Him like that. Father talking to his son. I realize that some of us in this room may not have had good relationships with our dads. In fact, they may have been downright awful. We may have had wicked dads. And if that was your situation, I, I'm sorry. But I want you to know that our heavenly father is, is not like our earthly fathers. Even the best earthly fathers, even the most godly earthly fathers still blow it, still forget to keep their word, still lose their temper. but our, and, and maybe you never had a relationship where you could go to your dad and say, Dad, I've just been really struggling with something. Could, could you pray about this with me? Or could you give me this advice? Some of you had that. And that's great. But many of us didn't. I want you to know that you can come and sit down right next to your Heavenly Father. I, I know that you don't get to see Him, but and it probably seems a little bit weird if if you're doing it in front of a lot of people. But you can, you can just sit down and say, God, I need to talk today. I, 
I'm struggling. God, I'm hurting. God, I, I, I'm, I'm not sensing your love today, and I, I just I feel distant from you today. I, I need to talk to you. Your God hears you. He wants you to do that. That is one of the great privileges of being adopted by the creator of the universe. But another privilege that we enjoy is a heavenly inheritance. We have a heavenly father. We also have a heavenly inheritance. That verse 17 tells us that if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Let me read that again. If you're children, if you're God's children, then you're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, I know we're not accustomed to doing backflips in church and getting rowdy and everything, but if there's anything to holler about, something like that is worth getting excited about because not only are you God's kid, but you are, are God's heir and you're a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. I don't know if you have a theological category for something like this, but it, it boggles the mind. This means that the God we've been studying, the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, unchanging God, not only wants you as his child, but he wants you to be his heir. He's not just letting you in the door and saying, ah, oh, I can't believe, can't believe I adopted you. Are you serious? Was I asleep that day? All right, so you get the corner table. We'll give you the table scraps. And no, you don't get any of my inheritance. Maybe the, the stamp collection or something, but that's about it. You're just, you're kind of relegated to the corner. No, no, no. When you're brought into God's family, you're brought in with the full rights and privileges of any other child. It's not like there's like Billy Graham and, and um, you know, the Apostle Paul and Jesus get to sit at the big kids table and you and I are over here kind of just, you know, drinking Kool-Aid and hoping we get something decent to eat. God, God says, you are my child. Not only are you my heir, but you're a joint heir or a fellow heir with Jesus Christ himself. That is a pretty amazing truth. Now, we need to be careful about this because what he's not saying, like we, we don't need to just look at Jesus now as our bro, our, um, uh, um, you know, thinking that we're on equal footing with him and um, that we've got, you know, we might as well be gods ourselves. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus Christ is God. You and I are not. Philippians 2.9 says that he was given a name above every name. So that includes us. So, we need to be careful about running with this idea of being a joint heir with Christ. It doesn't mean that we're, we're all little Jesuses running around. It's, it's not what it's not what the Bible's saying. We've got to be careful. We're, we'll walk into some real heresy there. But, but what he is saying is, is that we have the, the rights and privileges that Jesus does. We can talk to our Heavenly Father just like Jesus talks to God the Father. And I just want to add this footnote. If you're, if you're a lady out there and you're looking at this passage and saying, Okay, what's the deal here? Why didn't, doesn't God mention daughters? All this talk about sons. Why doesn't, why doesn't it say that we're sons and daughters? What's the deal here, Paul? Well, I got two answers for you. First of all, the Greek word that translated sons, and I won't go into this because this is where people's eyes glaze over a little bit. The Greek word translated son is the Greek word huios. Whatever that's worth, if that if impresses somebody at a dinner party, you can use it. And um, the, the plural for the word huios can mean all you guys. It can mean both men and women. 
uh, sons and daughters. So Paul has kind of got us covered there. But I, I read something this week by Tim Keller, who's a pastor out in New York City, that I thought was an interesting note on this as well. In that culture, women were really looked down upon. Women were second-class citizens. They didn't get the same education. They didn't have job opportunities. They, were just, they just did what they were told, and they weren't on the same footing as men. In Christ, everything changes. The New Testament teaches that. That men and women, he says, Paul says later on, Jew, barbarian, slave, or free, doesn't matter what background, what gender you are, what socioeconomic uh, background you come from. In Christ, we're all one, and we're all loved by God equally. And what I think possibly Paul was getting at here is that he didn't, want to, he didn't want to bring up the idea of daughters because it might generate in their mind, oh, okay, well, I'm going to be in God's household, but I'm just going to be waiting on all the men. He wanted us to know that no matter who you are, man, woman, child, boy, girl, no matter what gender or nationality you were, that you are all going to be equal heirs with Christ. And you're all adopted with the same rights and privileges. There's not going to be class systems in God's family. What a beautiful truth. The privileges of adoption, that we have a heavenly father and we have a heavenly inheritance. Fourthly, I just want to talk briefly about the, or fifthly, the the responsibility of adoption. He adds this footnote at the end of 17 where he says, there's a a conditional clause. He says, um, you're, Heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, there's the key word, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. And I was looking at this verse and I thought, Paul, it almost sounds like you're saying my, my suffering will earn God's sonship. That, that, is, that is, if I'm willing to suffer, then I have a place in God's family. But I don't think that's what he's getting at. I think he's just simply saying that true sonship, true faith, True Christianity will demonstrate itself in a willingness to walk through difficulties for the sake of Christ. One writer says the suffering Paul speaks of here refers to the the daily anxieties and the tensions and the persecutions that are the lot of those who follow Christ. I don't know if anybody told you this when you first became a Christian or if you've ever read this, but Jesus made it really clear. He says, if you follow me, I mean, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Paul tells us in in his letter to Timothy, he says, all those who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And that's why Jesus referred to to the path to heaven as the the narrow way. Many are taking the wide way, the life that they, they can do what they want to, live any way they want to with no restraints. But he says, a willingness to follow me, it's a difficult path to follow. And Paul is saying here, I think, that if, if you've chosen that path, And you have to have a willingness to suffer with Christ. And that's a reflection of your sonship. So lastly then, what does this all mean for us? I just want to get a few application points as we close today. Because I think that this doctrine is immensely, immensely relevant to our daily life. I just want to remind you, first of all, that it means that you're secure. You're secure. There's nothing that you can do to get yourself out of God's family. When you believe in Jesus Christ, truly trust Christ, you are his. 
And sometimes we make sinful choices. Sometimes we go the route of the prodigal son and, and do our own thing for a while. But if you've really truly trusted in Christ, there's, there's nothing, nothing that is going to cause you to be a, a non-son. God will not disown you. You are secure today. And, and some of you need to hear that because you're living a life of, of just uh, fear. That just one day, it'll be one sin too much. One day you'll cross the line and God will say, that's enough. That's enough. Because maybe you grew up in a home where love was conditional. If you were behaving yourself, if you were being a good kid, and you were worthy of being a child, then you were accepted. It's kind of like the, the movie or, or, or the play Orphan or Annie, where little orphan Annie's got to prove herself to Daddy Warbucks. She's got to be a good, good little orphan girl, and then he'll adopt her. Listen, God says he adopted you even when you were his enemy. Romans chapter 5 tells us that. God did not look and figure out kids who were cleaned up and had their act together and had their life all squeaky clean before he said, okay, you can be one of my sons. You can be one of my daughters. The Bible says that, that God chose us before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that God shed his love on us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So it's not about your performance. Yes, God wants us to live holy lives. Yes, God wants us to pursue righteousness. But your acceptance by God is not determined by your behavior. And that is really, really important to understand. It's crucial because it affects on how you and I relate to our Heavenly Father. So you're secure. Secondly, though, secondly, this means that adoption is really, really important. Spiritual adoption is, is really important because we have a place in God's family and it totally changes relationship that we had with God. But I also want to transition for a second to earthly adoption. Because just as God is passionate about spiritual adoption, I believe that God is very passionate about adopting and taking care of orphans and the fatherless here on earth. Um, all throughout the Old Testament, there are three groups of people that God knew would struggle to find stability and were particularly vulnerable. And they were foreigners, widows, and the fatherless. Because he knew that if, if you met any of those criteria, you're going to have a difficult time making it in society and culture. And God has a special place in his heart for those groups of people. And in places like Deuteronomy 27, 19, he speaks even so strongly as to say, cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the fatherless. God cares about kids. And God cares about kids, especially that don't have a home. And I just want to use this, this spiritual message from Romans chapter 8 to make mention that there is a huge need out there for kids that need a loving home. In the United States alone, there are 397,000 122 kids living in the foster care system. 101,000 of them are eligible for adoption right now. Right now. But nearly 32% of them will wait over three years in foster care before being adopted. 
I'm not saying God's calling everybody to adopt a child, but I do believe that there's enough in Scripture about it to, to say that everybody should at least care about it. Everybody should at least look to see what they could do to pray, to consider becoming foster parents, to consider adopting, to, to help and encourage and support those who want to adopt. Because adoption is really, really important to God. And I am glad that I'm part of his family. And I know that you are too. And there are a lot of kids that could use a good home to be able, I mean, I, I tell people, what, what better way to have an opportunity to lead someone to Christ. I mean, some of us pray, God, give me opportunities to share about Jesus with a, with a non, you know, unsaved person today. Well, what a better way. You bring the unsaved person right into your home. You've got a 24-7 disciple that you can teach God's word to, help them, help them and point them to Jesus Christ and get them uh, plugged into a community of faith. There's sacrifice involved. It's not easy, but it's important to God. And then finally, as we think about what all this means for us, we'll return back to this idea that you're, you and I are heirs. If, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you, you're one of his heirs. I want to close with this. There was a wealthy man. I don't know if this is true or not. I, I, I believe it's a fictional story. but There's a wealthy man and his son who loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection, from Picasso to Raphael. They would often sit together and admire the great works of art. Well, when the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous, but died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was grief-stricken as his only son was gone. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. The man stood there with a large package in his hands. He said, Sir, you don't know me, but I'm the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying, carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart and died instantly. He often talked about you and your great love for art. The young man held out his package and said, I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package and it was a portrait of his son painted by the young man. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears. He thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. Oh no, sir, the man replied. I could never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift. The father hung the portrait over his mantle. Every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works he'd collected. The man died a few months later. There was to be a great auction of his paintings, and many influential people gathered, excited over seeing the great paintings and having an opportunity to purchase one for their own collection. But on the platform sat the painting of the son. The auctioneer pounded his gavel. We'll start the bidding with this picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice from the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous paintings. Skip this one. The auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? 
Another voice shouted angrily, We didn't come to see the painting. We came to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts. Get on with the real beds. But still the auctioneer continued, The sun, the sun, who, who will take the sun? Finally a voice came from the very back of the room. It was the longtime gardener of the man and his son. I'll give $10 for the painting. Being a poor man, it was all he could afford. We have 10. Who will bid 20? Give it, give it to him for 10. Let's see the masters. The crowd was becoming angry. They didn't want the picture of the sun. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collection. Finally, the auctioneer pounded the gavel, sold for $10. A man sitting in the second row shouted, Now let's get on with the collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel. I'm sorry, the auction's over. What about the paintings? I'm sorry. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal the stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. And whoever bought that painting would inherit the rest of the estate, including the paintings. The man who took the sun gets everything. Over 2,000 years ago, God gave his son to die on a cruel cross. And much like the auctioneer, his message today is the son, the son. Who will take the son? Because you see, he who gets the son gets it all. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, today we rejoice at the thought that we're part of your family. And that's not just a a Christian phrase that we're going to toss around, but Father, we want that truth to be embedded upon our hearts so that we, we can approach you as a child does his loving, loving Heavenly Father. And we can sit down and we can pour out our hearts. We can, we can worship you. We can thank you. We can vent to you. We can cast all of our burdens down at your feet because we know you care. But God, these truths, your word tells us, only apply to those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, believing that he died for their sins and that he rose again from the grave. Those are the people who get to be the heirs of Christ. Father, if there are those here today who are, who are sitting here thinking, I, I've, I've, I've never made a decision like that. I've never, never cast my faith upon Jesus Christ as my Savior. Father, may, be, may today be the day they do that. Would you stir their hearts and draw them to your Son, Jesus Christ, so that they, can, they too can become heirs, fellow heirs with him. They can enjoy the freedom of forgiveness and the joy that comes in serving our loving Heavenly Father. God, if any of us are carrying baggage from our own childhood and our own messed up family situations into our relationship with you, God, may we just, may we be able to see that. May we be able to see who you are and how you relate to us and not superimpose a, 
a bad father-child relationship unto the perfect, loving, heavenly Father that you are. God, may this truth impact us today and throughout the rest of our lives. Father, thank you so much that we are your sons and daughters. May we live to honor and please you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed.